Welcome to Table Talk, the Iowa Food and Family Project podcast. This season, we'll be exploring your questions about food and everything from confusing food label claims to product recalls to menu trends is on the table. I'm your host, Kristen Clark. Some call me a farmhand, some just call me mom or coach, and most know me as the purveyor of the ultimate pear pie. I'm excited to delve into common questions about our food system and to share what I learn with you. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Table Talk podcast. Today, I'm your host, Kristen Clark, and I am joined by Roxy Beck, who is the Vice President of Look East and also the Consumer Engagement Director for the Center for Food Integrity. Welcome to the show, Roxy. Thank you. (laughs) I appreciate you inviting me here. Oh, my gosh. It's the best. Roxy and I met. We have to tell people where we met because it's kind of funny. On a blogger tour where we're taking tech bloggers, food bloggers, people from all over the U.S. and bringing them onto a sow farm to experience firsthand agriculture as it is. That first uh, impression on the sow farm, was that your first time? Uh, No. Um, I've been, um, I actually say part of my uh, background is I'm a retired dairy farmer. Yes. (laughs) Um, So I, I grew up in agriculture. I grew up on a dairy farm in southeast Minnesota. you know, working very hard day in, day out on that farm. And then through my career, I actually, my first client in this industry was the pork industry. So I had the opportunity to visit um, pig farms and processing facilities and um, see all of the different kind of stops along the way that you know, pigs make, yeah. um, and so, but, but I, but not a ton. I've, you know, I, I um, have limited experience, which includes some on-farm uh, interaction with friends that were farmers when we were young. Um, and then certainly from an industry standpoint, I've had the opportunity to meet people like you who are, oh. you know, intensely uh, <laughs> have an intense relationship with the pork side. For sure. So, yeah. Well, we are very lucky that we got to have you from the dairy farmers yeah, yeah. so thank you for, for helping <laughs> us out. I do not claim that. allegiance only to one uh, set of livestock. So, equal yeah. equal opportunity right. livestock enthusiast That's I can right. definitely tell. <laughs> so your expertise is something that is amazing to me because it's all about food and farming and how we join those two entities together and communicate about them in a way that's really digestible and approachable to a lot of people. What in your roles in your career so far has led you down this path to become to do what you are doing today? Yeah. Well, I having come from agriculture, um, I'm not only an eater, <laughs> a <laughs> consumer, which sometimes people in agriculture forget. Yeah. We too are consuming products. So, yeah. I, I have the background of understanding the deep relationship that people hold with agriculture. It's not just your job; it's your way of life. It's your passion, it's your hobby, you know this well. Um, it's all consuming and farmers would have it no other way. Um, but it is everything that you do from the moment you wake up until you go to ni- you know, bed at night and maybe sometimes you're not even sleeping because you're thinking about it, right? Especially <laughs> at the economy. That's right, yeah. But, um, so I bring that understanding and the passion that comes from agriculture and really has shaped me um, as a person with the way I think about the responsibility I have now, not being on the farm, not being a producer. Um, I'm a subpar gardener at best, so I'm really... <laughs> <laughs> you and me both. Oh, I yeah, knew. I, try. I knew we were friends um, for a reason. Yeah, yeah, I try, black but, thumb. Um, <laughs> right. So, but I, I also have a great appreciation and understanding that today's consumers, me included, um, I live in you know the, the urban sprawl area. I'm in 
um, suburbia and I'm surrounded by people who have a million wonderful questions about what's going on in the food system. How, is animal, how are animals being raised? How are crops being grown? What are scientists doing to ensure that the, the, the chemicals that are being on crops are actually safe for us to eat? Um, what am I seeing when I drive by in a field and see something or I drive by a farm with buildings and don't see animals? What is going on in agriculture? All the way through to what does this mean on my food label? Um, how do I interpret marketing claims? How do I interpret ingredients listing? Um, and ultimately, my most important job is that of mom. How do I make great decisions for my kids that I know, one, are not going to sacrifice on nutrition, are going to fit our budget, are going to you know, adapt for any you know, nutritional, or not nutritional, but maybe health challenges that we have. Um, we're, not ble we're, we're blessed in that we don't have allergies in our family, but we know people who do. So we all have a set of circumstances and life experience and bias that we bring to our decisions. Um, and I think no matter what, no matter what type of consumer you are, the, the, the fact that we have the food system we do in the United States, the choice that we are employed every time we walk in, is the thing that we should all be able to be really happy about and get excited about as an industry. Because whether you're a niche producer of some you know, strawberry product or whatever, you have a market that would be happy to buy that product in as much as you might have another type of strawberry that, that somebody else would want to buy. Absolutely. So I think we have, a, um, again, a privilege. I use that word all the time when I think about being able to work within this industry and serve all the people who sit and are, are responsible for little pieces and parts of the system because I certainly can't do it all. <laughs> um, yes. You know, everybody has their expertise that they bring in. So I'm just happy to be able to connect with those people. Well, I'm, I'm fortunate to have always been able to connect with you. And I was thinking on the way over here about all those choices mm -hmm. that we have in front of us every day. And I'm very much reminded of that every time I walk into the grocery store. So if you wouldn't mind joining me, we're going to go on this like imaginary tour of the grocery store and kind of decode some of those food labels that a lot of people through the research that you've done mm -hmm. may come up and say, you know, I'm just not quite sure about that. Mm -hmm. So we're going to go through a high V store in my mind because I, are you a person Excellent. that yes. writes your grocery list out? Absolutely. As a map of the store? Yes. Do you ever send your significant other spouse to the grocery store? If there are three items or less, <laughs> yes. And I know I can get away with texting up to three more. Oh, and then he's like, yeah. no, no, this was a shopping trip, not a quick errand. So. Uh, I did marry Superman, Superdad, so yeah. I have zero complaints. And actually, I love grocery shopping. I know I'm a yeah. rare beast in that uh, respect, but I do really like Are the you process. for hire? Uh, <laughs> you know, maybe a ne next uh, career path. You know what? Yeah, Roxy, the grocery shopper yeah. extraordinaire. Well, that's where you're going to be today. Okay. So you and I, heading into High V. let's start in the produce aisle. Okay. Okay. So probably number one thing you see, you're seeing the organic section of produce versus the conventional section of produce. Yeah. What can people, what can you tell people about the way that things are labeled in there to maybe relieve a little anxiety yeah. that they may have because they don't know which one to choose? Yep. And the first thing, I'll back up one second. When I look at the produce section, I think, holy cow, look at all that food. Yes. So we know that food waste is something people are thinking about. That might be another source of anxiety. Um, but then certainly when it comes down to how are things labeled and what does that mean for myself, my family, my health. 
um, is certainly important. And I'll add in one more anxiety, food safety. Mm -hmm. We hear about recalls and we know um, I, I have taken pictures of uh, lack of food, yes. specifically in the produce with, with romaine lettuce was one of the more recent ones. And you know, posted it and said, wow, here's our food system at work. Um, protecting us, not allowing us to buy products that have been, you know, have been recalled because of potential safety concerns. So anyway, I'll get back to the, the, <laughs> the big, you know, when we see a couple labels. First and foremost, what I want people to understand, and I think those that are in, in the food system would want people to understand, is the food that you see is safe, right? There has been um, testing on all sorts of types of products. Um, and food has changed drastically. Even when you and I were young, um, yeah. the size of produce is something to talk about. You know, the grapes that we had when we were little probably weren't bigger than a quarter. Right. And now, if the you have anything. The perfect choking hazard. Right. My mom's a grape slicer. She's still, I'm 36, and she still does not let me walk around oh with grapes, God. whole grapes. So we have bigger grapes. Is that genetics or is that a chemical, Roxy? Sure. What is, okay. It's breeding. It's plant breeding. So, yes. yes. And, and for the vast majority of things that are bigger, we say bigger, better, right? Yeah. Um, you, you, you get to that point because they have selected. So way back when, this continues to happen today, but if you saw um, a, a plant that, or, or you know, hundreds of plants that you planted and you saw one grew taller, or the, the next, you know, we'll talk about strawberries. These berries are far more red or they're firmer so they don't burst open when they fall to the ground. That type of selection, wow, let's take the seeds from that one that didn't, you know, get, get mushy and let's take the one here that actually pulled those strawberries off the ground. Let's cross those two and let's make a plant that does both. So that type of rudimentary but imperative breeding has mm -hmm. been going on for centuries to create the products that we have today. Um, and if you do just a little bit of digging in, you can see that the produce that we have today did not exist, you know, generations ago. Mm -hmm. um, there are so many plants that come, I think it's brassicus, I'm probably mispronouncing no, it. I think but that right. gives us plants like broccoli and mm -hmm. kale and other produce that sits in that green, sometimes leafy um, variety that we wouldn't have had. And so there's phenomenal research, there's phenomenal just experimentation that's driven us to the product selection we have today. Um, and there are, there are so many products, whether um, they are organic, whether they're conventional or even GMO, um, that the first and foremost thing to understand is from a nutrition standpoint, there's zero difference. So there's been research, um, Stanford did a study, I think most recently, they would have been the ones that did it, that said there is just such very little variance on the amount of nutrition that would come from any different type of produce. So if you are choosing fresh produce for nutrition, please feel great in whatever you choose. Um, some people like to opt into different, um, different types of produce and they are gonna say, here's my budgetary restriction. Mm -hmm. Or gosh, those strawberries just don't, you know, they might compare, here's the organic strawberries versus the, the, the one that doesn't have the organic claim. And one of them might look better. And we know by and large, price, taste, and convenience have been drivers for consumers for the way we, we pick what we cho you know, choose to yep. put in our cart. Um, taste and price continue to be important, but there are these other indicators like, was this grown sustainably? Um, is it local? Mm -hmm. um, which is also no. a funny label, uh, which I'll chat yeah. about. Local to some people means, well, I didn't buy it at the, the Hy-Vee in West Des Moines, I bought it at the local one, the Ankeny one, uh -huh. right? Whatever might be local to them, that, that is local. Some people might have a, a firmer definition like within 100 miles. Some people believe local is in the U.S 
because they don't like imported. So there is no USDA definition for local. It's really about how do you assess more of a personal assessment. Absolutely. Okay. All right. Um, and some you know some some companies some retailers have gone farther to say locally grown and they feature the family you know farm that it came from, and I I think people absolutely love to be connected to that because when you think about um, the daily uh, opportunity for us to connect back to the farm, it's really pretty rare. Um, some of us that are in metro areas might be able, or, or even in towns that have farmer's markets, th there's such a um, unique opportunity to connect and say, you grew this, you impacted. And this, you know, going back to where we met with the blogger tours, these people are intensely fascinated with what's going on on farm. They love food. It is a relationship they're in. <laughs> like, the way they talk about it is really pretty magical, but they want to know where it came from. And even on tours where we've said, you know, we, we uh, talked about beef, they're like, wait, is this your beef? Or did, or did these eggs come from your farm? It means something to them when they know the person behind the product. So you at Center for Food Integrity mm -hmm. do a ton of research, yes. a lot of which I always follow and really love to catch up on every year. When you're polling the people that you're polling, what drives their decision the most? I mean, we talked about price, taste, and convenience. Mm -hmm. Is there a healthy, affordable, what are the other yeah. monikers that are applied when people are looking to search for that perfect yep. thing to buy? Taste is king, okay. um, even more so, and, and I, I, will, <clears throat> I will differentiate. People will say, here's how I, what I consider, and then if you look at their carts, it might differ a little bit because there are other <laughs> yeah. things that come into play. It could be their kid yelling. <laughs> it could be, oh, I didn't realize the price point was going to be so far off. It could be, oh, I didn't realize this was, um, has an allergen or something, gotcha. right? Yep. So, so there are going to be a lot of other competing factors, but taste is king by and large. It, it has been for generations that have come before. It continues to be for um, generation Y. It will continue with Z um, in terms of what we're seeing already. Um, so we know that taste is a motivator. We also, though, um, a few years back in our research, started seeing this emergence of healthy, affordable. So people have an understanding that, or, or a, an assumption, a bias, that if something is healthy, it will be more expensive. And while that can be true, it doesn't have to be true. And so people are interested in being able to have food that they perceive to be healthy, great nutrition. Um, healthy also means safe. Uh, as we're seeing, there's less um, there's less differentiation between when so when we ask people who would you trust to keep food safe, who would you trust to make sure food is healthy, we get a very similar reading. And so what that helps us understand is people can't really um, pull those two apart. Okay. Safety and health are synonymous. When I think about long term, I have to choose foods that are safe for my family, but that is built into the term healthy. So healthy, affordable absolutely taste. And then there are these other um, things that people are thinking about. There are things that are in the universe of consideration. And we see them through marketing claims today. Um, sustainably raised, whether it's on your you know, spinach or your salmon, you're seeing these types of um, labels come forward. Certainly the, what we would call absence label claims, the free from, yes. GMO free, no sodium, no fat, no fun, no flavor. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, teasing. Sometimes um, that's what it feels like. Right. It's like, what is really in this food or right. this beverage? Right. People in 2019, this consumer trend of people identifying with the brands that they consume, the brands that they wear on that moral and ethical level, 
through your research, ha has any indication of what does sustainability mean to people? Yeah. Do you know what people are thinking yeah. when they're clicking that box? Um, there is not, most definitely not a consistent definition for sustainability. Most people skew towards this means something about the environment. But what a phenomenal opportunity the food system has to help people understand when we say we're sustainable, here's what it means. We're using or we're leveraging every single drop of water we can to produce the, you know, to, to make these seeds grow to produce the crops that we're eating. Um, or on a farm, it might be we recycle the water, um, you know, that, that is being is going through the process the water cycle process mm -hmm. and we see that on dairies oftentimes so uh, i think that's a responsibility of the food system to say here's what sustainability means to us because there are many different metrics that can be um, standardized and, and measured over time um, but there is not a one-size-fits-all definition certainly for consumers and even as we look at different sectors of agriculture you have different markers of success as it relates right. to sustainability Let's go ahead in our little grocery store tour mm -hmm. to head back. I believe the next thing in a Hy-Vee store would be the meat counter, mm -hmm. right? After you get past the bakery, which oh, okay. <laughs> at least the one I'm thinking about. <laughs> you know what? You're totally right. I try to avoid that. I probably should avoid it a little bit more. You know, uh, yeah. everyone's got to have everything in moderation. Yeah. My dietitian, including moderation, yeah. right? Yeah. Yes. Frosted carbs never hurt anyone. That's Makes right. me happy. Okay, <laughs> so we're heading back to the meat department. Yes. We've got an array of beautiful Iowa pork, Iowa beef, Iowa turkey, all these products, gorgeous products, in mm -hmm. a, a great meat case. What top of mind is going on in that consumer that you have polled that research is telling you through their mind when they're at the meat counter? Yeah. Some of the biggest concerns we hear about are antibiotics and hormones. No. So aside from, I think there being huge opportunity for meat case managers that are super interactive and say, hey, what are you making? You know, yeah. Are you grilling a steak? Are you making a stew? Being helpful to know what cuts are perfect to choose for different things, which is helpful even to me, um, is this idea of what's going on before this meat enters the, the meat case. Mm -hmm. um, and so one of the things that um, we know, and this is a surprise to people, we don't have to think about these things frequently. So when we learn, oh wow, I wasn't thinking about that or I just didn't know that, there's a huge relief. And we see this again with the blogger tours. Um, so let's start with hormones. Mm -hmm. um, I have a daughter who's nine. We have children that are growing up and yeah. we know everybody says, oh, the hormones are raging, right? We don't, right. We don't wanna introduce any new risk mm -hmm. for our kids. Um, so one of the most basic things we have to remember um, or understand is that just like everything that comes from something living, so mm -hmm. a plant, an animal, just like it contains DNA, mm -hmm. proteins, you know, the amino acids that form life, also those things have hormones yeah. naturally. And when I think about beef in particular, there have been concerns about hormones in beef. I think hormones in beef and milk are the two places where it really shows up for us. And yes, there are hormones because it came from an animal is the first kind of box to Living just understand. Organism, yes. yes, just like broccoli. In fact, broccoli has far more um, hormones than beef. Yes. Um, maybe surprisingly. Um, so that's just one thing to understand. Now, as it relates to pork and poultry products, there are no hormones added ever. Yeah. And you know this. It's been in, illegal in pork for, production. for over 50 years, 60 yes. years, 70 years. There plus. are no products, there are no hormone products within pork or poultry that are even available for farmers to use. Right. So you can, be, you can rest assured that there are no added hormones in those products. 
back to that other big one that we hear when it comes to meat case, the antibiotics. Mm -hmm. um, I get it, it's a concern because first and foremost, antibiotic resistance is real. Um, we see this in the human medical community. We know that in hospital situations and in residential care facilities, especially for elderly, anywhere where there's people that are um, at a disadvantage because of health concerns, mm -hmm. resistance is happening. Um, and resistance is not only in places where there's mass you know, amount of people or, or organisms. We see this in um, dormant caves that no humans have touched in 300 years. I mean, there's antibiotic resistance that's happening there. Um, organisms are naturally designed to fight, right, and change to, and adapt to their environment. So first and foremost, I'm, I'm committed to the fact that antibiotic resistance is real. Mm -hmm. Then it comes to the question, so what are we doing about it? Right. And it, as it you know, relates to labeling, we see all sorts of claims on labels. Some say antibiotic-free or no antibiotics ever. Mm -hmm. And that certainly means these animals have not had antibiotics in their system, period. Okay. Um, now, what if those animals were sick? Well, if they were, if they were on an antibiotic-free farm, typically they will be treated, but they will be moved. They'll be mm -hmm. moved into a different system or they will absolutely not get that label claim. Now, I also want to talk about something else, which is antibiotic um, residue. Mm -hmm. And when, when USDA, every bit of product, that every, every animal that goes through um, the process of slaughter in the United States goes through a USDA facility and they are sampled. So there is always a USDA inspector looking to make sure there is not antibiotic um, residue that's going to create any human health challenge. Yeah. And so resistance is different from residue and what I want everybody to know is anything that you're buying is safe. None of it has antibiotics in it. Um, you, you know this, producers have um, withdrawal times. So mm -hmm. when you think about your kiddo is sick or your pet is sick, um, you're gonna give them an antibiotic. And I always think about, okay, it's 10 days, it's twice a day. We get our little checklist to make sure yeah. we don't miss a dose, right? Mm -hmm. So farmers are applying that same philosophy to ensure it's going to work, it's gonna get in the system, it's gonna effectively fight the bacteria, and then it's gonna, over a period of time, come out of the system. Yeah. And farmers are adhering to that same process to ensure there's no more antibiotic in that animal that is going to become our meat. So again, I feel really good. I feel far more um, likely to screw up the meat <laughs> from a safety standpoint <laughs> yes. once it gets to my house, right? And just remember all the basics. Of, just don't overcook it, Roxy. Right, That's don't overcook the big it. One. Use that meat thermometer. Don't cross-contaminate, right? Um, so I, I think that's really good. our food really is good. safe. Our food is safe. And it doesn't matter. If you want to buy antibiotic free, awesome. If you, don't, if you don't see that label, don't feel like you are at a risk because you don't see the label. Oftentimes, because of the production system that's have to, had to be set up, those actually end up costing the producers more. And so to be able to re recapture the cost of that, that production, mm -hmm. um, they have to pass that along somehow. So oftentimes we're gonna see that in terms of a price differential mm -hmm. at the marketplace um, because the, food, the farmer, the food company can't make that price up in any other way than passing it through to the customer. So whatever choice you make is perfectly safe just understand that it's you're not opting into something that's safer simply by choosing antibiotic free. It yeah. might be consistent. You might say this is important to me, and that's fine too. You have that choice, um, but it doesn't um, it doesn't mean that everything else has antibiotics in it. That just is not the case at all. So now we have filled our cart with all this produce, a few items from the bakery. Mm -hmm. 
plenty of meat for a grill out. We got to head to the dairy and the egg section of Hy-Vee. You know, they're kind yeah. of close to each other. Yeah. People's questions about that area of the store. Yeah. What do you see? Well, on dairy, I, I always think back to this woman. We do a lot of research. Some of mm -hmm. it is, you know, large scale, 2,000 consumers at a time. And then sometimes we do focus groups. So we're really trying to understand all of the, help us understand why you're saying this. So is that a small group of people, yeah. maybe 10 or eight less? To 12, okay. Yeah, 8 to 12. Okay. 8 to 12 typically. Um, and I remember this woman in California. And this was a group of people who had said, I have some concerns about the food system. And the topic of milk came up. And she said, um, I buy organic milk because I want to avoid the GMOs, the antibiotics, and the hormones that, that, that are in that cow. And being from the industry, I, I happen to know a little bit more than the average Joe on the topic of uh, all of those topics as it relates to dairy and, and broader. And the, the focus groups facilitator did an amazing job of saying, so let's talk about that. Help me understand how you've come to those conclusions. because. You may also, you know, your listeners may say, yeah, I'm, I'm opting into something like organic milk because I'm trying to avoid antibiotics, hormones, and like this woman said, even the GMOs that cow ate. Mm -hmm. um, now, if you understand the science side of it, right, you can understand, okay, antibiotics are, that milk is literally dumped. I, I'm assuming some of your listeners are women, and I'm a mom, and I breastfed both of my kids for a long time. Pump and dump is a real thing. I got sick, I took antibiotics, I could not give my child that milk. It's exactly the same thing that happens on a dairy. So that's something that, you know, there aren't antibiotics in milk. Hormones, um, you could make the claim that there's not any, you know, there's no hormones in your milk or there's, there's hormones in your milk in every single drop, no matter how it's produced because it comes from a living thing. So there are going to be hormones in it. But as it relates to artificial hormones or um, synthetic hormones, the body is, is, is processing them. You cannot determine if there's been a hormone given to an animal um, or not because it's processed exactly the same. So no matter what, and, and there's even a label claim, you know, that says even if a, a, a synthetic version of this, um, of, of this uh, hormone has been given, it does not make this milk any different because right. the body is processing that just as it does every other hormone. So um, anyway, back to the story. Um, the woman said, you know, I, I've chosen this or I've, I've come to this conclusion because um, I have a daughter. I have four kids. And my, my pediatrician says one gallon of milk is not enough for our four kids on a weekly basis, but that's what I can afford. And she said, okay, so how is it that you're making decisions? Uh, the facilitator, focus group mm -hmm. facilitator said, so how are you making decisions and how is this that you're opting into it? If you have an influencer in your life, your doctor, your children's doctor saying it's not enough. And she said, well, my, one of my four children, my husband and I were on a rare date night. I was wearing these fancy shoes. We get a call from the babysitter saying, we're going to the hospital, meet us there. Our daughter's had uh, in, in anaphylaxis. She fed her some, a peanut butter snack. She's deathly allergic. We didn't know, we're all headed to the, you know, so I throw off my shoes, we run, and you're like, wow, my heart hurts. I mean, even now I'm going, you can just feel the pain. She's not opting in. In this case, she didn't opt into organic because it's peanut free, right? right? She opted out of something that she really wasn't understanding about the finished product. Mm -hmm. And we have to remember in the food system, we have not done a great job of explaining everything we do to ensure products are safe. We don't, we haven't had to talk about how we grow or raise what we do because for a long time, people didn't seem interested. 
if we go way back, a lot of people were involved in production and it was like, yeah, we already know all of this. Mm -hmm. And then as you know, our society changed and fewer and fewer people were responsible for farming and agriculture, we forgot that maybe that, interest, that story would be interesting to people. And now with digital communication, you know, bring it back to how we work on a day-to-day -day basis with trying to understand more about our world in any topic, we think about digital communication. Mm -hmm. And we know 30% of people are going online in some form or fashion to get more information about food. Wow. So 17% are going first to a search engine, Google, Bing, you know. Um, another 13% have already selected a, a website that they love, whether that's a news site or a blog or something mm -hmm. else. Um, so they've already determined they have a set uh, number of sources that they're going to seek out information about food. So um, we have to remember there's a phenomenal opportunity to connect with consumers who are seeking information. And we also have to say every single question people could bring to us is a great one that we have to stop and say, that's a really good question. Um, we know that there are so many people that want to know if DNA is in their food. 83.5% of people said, yeah, I'd like a label that tells me if there's DNA. Sure, and sure. we can say, oh my goodness, do we not remember basic science and biology? We're, we're all DNA, right? right. Anything that, that came from something living or breathing has DNA. But the truth is we're not, we don't have to be forced to think about that question. And that doesn't mean people um, are uneducated. It means people aren't thinking about this and people want more information. And what a privilege we have to be able to be on the receiving end of that question to say, we can tell you. Yeah. We can tell you what's going on. We can put you in touch with somebody who knows more than this than we do. Um, and so I think there's such opportunity in every one of those case studies, those focus group stories to not judge and not say, well, ma'am, you know nothing about milk if you think you're opting out of any of those things by choosing you know, product A or product B. Right. Um, I would have completely turned her off if I would have said, sweetheart, you're buying nothing more safe or more nutritious by buying, you know, this other product. But because that facilitator said, help me understand more, mm -hmm. she had such an opportunity to engage with her and understand what her motivations were. Oh my gosh, from our, <laughs> from our imaginary grocery store tour to kind of decoding what's on food labels to how to gain consumer trust and listen and ask great questions. Roxy Beck, thank you so much for joining me on the Table Talk podcast today. Thank you for pulling up a chair and tuning into Table Talk with the Iowa Food and Family Project. Like what you heard? Stay in the loop at iowafoodandfamilyproject.com. While you're there, be sure to join more than 75,000 fellow Iowans who dig into the Fresh Pickings email newsletter for their monthly dose of farm fresh recipes, features on Iowa farm families, and exclusive offers.